Hello. You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo Whoa. of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, Kalu2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore Kalu. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another December edition of Hoop and Holler. It's your host, Reagan Griffin. As always, joined by Eddie Sun and Julio Martinez. Y'all, it's a little chilly outside right now for me. I don't know what it looks like out there in California, but I don't want to go outside anymore. How we doing? Yeah, it's pretty cold, and that's obviously coming from a LA native, so it's probably not that cold for the rest of the world, but it's cold for me, so I feel you on that. I mean, yeah, California residents can't really say anything about the weather. Otherwise, we just sound kind of entitled. But um, I'm doing I mean, good. Um, I mean, the thing, the, th- the, episode, the thing is, ahead. though, the thing is, though, Eddie and I, always, you, you say we sound entitled if we talk about the weather like that and complain. But we do make fun of a lot of other states in this nation. So maybe we do sound entitled that way. <laughs> Amen. I guess we live in California. What can say? <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Amen. I have my foot in both uh, both sides of the argument. I'm, I, I lived in the South, lived in Georgia, lived in Memphis. I lived in the North in New Jersey. I've lived in California. I've seen it all. Every state has its own positives and negatives. I'll put it that way. California, y'all ain't perfect. Y'all ain't perfect now. Y'all okay, pretty but cool. We got the least amount. We got the least amount of negatives, bro. The biggest, the biggest negative you're gonna get is traffic, but you don't, you don't drive, dog. <laughs> That's the biggest negative no, about California. Yeah, mm. isn't that the biggest negative, Eddie? I mean, I'm curious what Reagan thinks. I don't know. Hey, man. What else could it be? You know, the, 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 there's definitely an aura of pretentiousness in certain areas of California. Hey, man, I said it. I said it. I said it. I said it. I said what I said. And the the East Coast doesn't think we're soft, and they don't think they're pretentious in their exactly. own way. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the East Coast will look at y'all like pretentious and y'all look at them like, you know, just heathens. And, you know, you both might be right. <laughs> you both might be right. But without further ado, enough social commentary. Let's get into some basketball <laughs> talk. Uh, the Lakers. Julio, how we feeling? We just locked up two of our guys, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Anthony for a five-year deal, $190 million. LeBron for a two-year deal, $85 million, so or 85 extension. People are talking about he's trying to play until his son gets in the league and then he can look at the options, all that interesting stuff. But how do you guys feel about these uh, these two signings? I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see it. Um, it's I, I don't want to say it's the same thing we did for Kobe, be, although there are some parallels because – they're both they, they both might you know LeBron might retire as a Laker like Kobe um, but LeBron is obviously probably going to age more far more gracefully than Kobe 
Um, but this is what we do, and he deserves it. He, he deserves it, even if his play at that point isn't screaming 42, 43-plus million dollars. So um, he deserves it. He, he brought the championship to L.A. like he said he would with the help of A.D., so I'm, I'm glad we locked him up for five years, uh, A.D., that is. Um, but, yeah, on, on the LeBron's point, he, he deserves it all the way, and I would have given him that contract every day of the week. So it's definitely not a surprise, right? And maybe the most surprising thing was that AD signed for the five-year max and not for, I think, like a shorter contract that he could have re-upped once he hit the 10-year mark. But, I mean, I think it shows that AD wants financial security, which is something I thought he would take in New Orleans with the Supermax. But regardless, because, you know, he's not that far removed from the, you know, injury history and everything that, you know, go, go get the biggest amount of money you can get he'll still be 31 when he enters free agency again. So you'll get another chance to get more money. Um, I mean, if you're the Lakers, what else are you going to do? I think you can't have waited and hoped to land a third superstar. Like you can still try to maneuver ways, but you know, you don't want to play with the money like that. Just lock up your franchise cornerstones. Pretty simple. Um, I I did see something somewhere that was like the Lakers couldn't manipulate stuff. And honestly, like the more that I look at sports and how salary cap works, so long as you have the option to like go back and renegotiate front loads, back loads and and throw money around and where people still get their money, but at different periods of time, you can always create money really whenever you want to. It's just, it takes a little bit of creativity on the part of the front office, but yeah, it's great. You get to have, like you said, your two franchise cornerstones in the building for a very long time. So you're going to get to see some good Lakers basketball moving forward but in other news something that I don't I wouldn't give myself for the credit of calling this on the other podcast and we were talking about the Rockets and how they might be interesting because I, I didn't outright say that they were going to trade for John Wall but I did say that the prospect of them trading for John Wall was extremely interesting given the moves that they'd already made and lo and behold it happened it was a swap of Russell Westbrook for John Wall and a first round pick a future first from the uh, Houston Rockets how do we feel about this deal um and, and actually no the first round pick went to Houston right yeah the first round pick went to Houston excuse me so how do you feel about that what do you think about the upside of the trade for either team who won the deal talk to me so my perspective on this trade is that in my view and I feel like this is the popular view amongst many analysts and basketball I guess aficionados uh, that Westbrook isn't you know, it, it is not only the better player, you know, throughout their careers. I mean, John Wall has never sniffed an MVP. Uh, um, but Westbrook at this point of their careers, Westbrook is by far the, the better kind of bet at this point with John Wall obviously coming off of those um, career-threatening injuries. Um, both, both point guards are not guys that I want leading my team. They're not pure point guards. Um, you can argue that John Wall is obviously probably a better passer. Um, so from that standpoint, you could, although Westbrook is the better player individually, you can maybe argue that John Wall is a better number two. But both guys just scream, uh, at, at least from my standpoint, that you know they both think they're number ones, and, and that's why I kind of you know wouldn't love either one leading my team and. and the only way I guess you can see that that Houston wins this trade is if John Wall is some semblance semblance of himself and that they got a first round pick. 
So they obviously, obviously took advantage of, of that situation. Um, but the thing about the Wizards, they're finally relevant again. And I know Reagan thinks they would have made the playoffs uh, uh, or had a strong chance to make the playoffs with John Wall. But I thought they would have been like 10th or 11th seed um, in the East with for sure in my opinion they wouldn't have been a shoe-in in the playoffs because you got the Bucks, Celtics, Heat, Pacers, Raptors, Philly and Brooklyn. That's already seven teams right there. So with one Hawks. spot remaining you got the Hawks, the Magic who also made it last year and maybe the Wizards. Um so it would have been a difficult task but now with Russell Westbrook who again I think is the better player, uh, I, I feel like the Wizards are going to make the playoffs. But here's my final point, my final overarching point that I feel is more most important to attack. I feel bad for Bradley Beal. As you guys know, he's my favorite, or he's one of my favorite players in the NBA. Um, you go from one problem to another. You go from one point guard who I, I know at the beginning of their careers, uh, they probably didn't you know like playing with each other, but to another guy who mm-hmm. thinks he's you know a number one kind of player in this NBA. So I, I asked myself, did the Wizards ask Bradley Beal, like, yo, would this be cool with you? As our franchise cornerstone, is this cool with you to bring in Russell Westbrook? And I bet he would have said no. He would have said no. And, and it's like, he's looking, he's scrapping for reasons to want to stay in Washington. This is not how you keep a player like Bradley Beal. So for for his sake, and uh, uh, my sake as a fan of him, I hope he gets out ASAP. This man just, <laughs> bro, for every, like, I feel like we all have our things that we just, like, cling to. Like, for me, it's always, like, Memphis, anytime I can bring up the Grizzlies, anytime Eddie can bring up the Warriors and, like, you know, just Stephen Curry or perhaps Carl Anthony Towns. But anytime. You can bring up Bradley Beal getting the hell out of Washington. You're going to cling to that every day of the week. Before out, Ed, because I want to get to you, Eddie, but I want to ask you, Julio, if you were in their shoes, um, you just wouldn't have traded John Wall? You would have you wrote it out with John Wall? You see, you see I, I again, I, I think that uh, uh, Russell Westbrook is a better player at this standpoint, but Bradley Beal already has a good relationship, or, or at least from the outside perspective, an improved much improved relationship with John Wall um, and, and giving up a first round pick. I would not have done that for Russell Westbrook. Interesting. Eddie, what are your thoughts? Because I, I just, I, again, I just don't value getting to the A seed as like something great, you know? So by the way, Reagan, you forgot to include Chris Middleton and Chris Middleton. Yes. I, I won't <laughs> hesitate to bring up, but um, in terms of the trade, I feel like most people are talking about it as like intriguing, interesting, you know, like a one-to-one swap of declining players that used to be really good. Uh, but no one's really even talking about it in terms of like which team is going to be elevated to another level or, you know, like what team like totally won the trade. It's not like one of those trades. So, and, and I mean, I kind of think about it the same way. It's, it's obviously intriguing because it's two high profile players but it's not going to really shake up anything. But I think this is a really interesting question because, you know, you guys and and everyone knows that I'm not high on Westbrook at all. Like, you know, I I bash Westbrook all the time, but there's still a lot of people out there that think he's, right, one of the most talented players in the NBA. And maybe that's true, but, you know, if that's the case, then, um, like, what does the Beal and Westbrook duo rank up in terms of duos? 
like compared to other players in the league. Because if you think about it, you can go LeBron and AD and uh, Paul George and Kawhi. KD and Kyrie. And, uh, KD and Kyrie. But like maybe that's it, right? Isn't that the fourth most talented duo in the NBA? You can say that they're maybe the second best backcourt. Um, you could, I'm saying like on paper, Washington has a pretty I, I talented think, team. I think Giannis and, and again, like, Chris I, Middleton. I always talk down on Westbrook. Giannis and Chris Middleton give them, will give them a run for their money too. Considering that Giannis is that's better true. than both of them, um, I don't know. That, that's an interesting thought exercise. I'd have to go look at it. Um, but from a talent standpoint, sure, I, I definitely think they're top ten easily. I guess my point is, no one is really thinking of Washington as now a upper echelon East team, or even like mid echelon. Like no one even thinks they're going to be like a four or five seed. But if you look at it, that team has a lot of talent on paper. You know, like we know what Beal is. We know what Westbrook is. Bertans is good. You know, maybe uh, uh, Troy Brown makes another jump. Thomas Bryant makes another jump. Like they have some talent there that some people, if if people are so high on Westbrook, maybe they believe in that team. I mean, not me. I I think they got better with Westbrook. Yeah. It's interesting because I think beyond Westbrook, if, if people look at it, if you made a list, that might be a top five duo in the NBA. And usually if you have a top five duo, you're a championship contending team. So I mean, they, exercise. They, they, un, they undoubtedly got better with their team. And not only that, they got relevant again. But why even why even and I'm not even huge on on draft picks, but why even sacrifice a first round pick for a guy who's not going to. Like you said, it's not going to change anything really with, with either team. So, wh- why even do that and risk getting your best player, your franchise cornerstone, you know, upset? Well, it, here's the way I look at it, and I actually want to do like a little thought exercise with the point you just brought up and just kind of name off duos. But I want to give my two cents first. If you're the Wizards, right? And you've seen what John Wall has been through over the past few years, and you're uncertain of whether or not he's going to come back and be 70, 75%, 80% of himself. And you're trying to prove to Bradley Beal, right, if he's looking for every reason to stick around and you don't want to give up on Bradley Beal, if you're not confident that John Wall is going to come back and healthy and allow you to compete like you want to, Russell Westbrook gives you the better option. You got incrementally better because now you have something that's, you know, for all of his flaws, right? And we we recognize that Russell Westbrook, as great of a player as he is, he does come with some flaws. You get, you know exactly what you're getting when you get Russell Westbrook. On the flip side, if you're Houston, that was kind of why you did this. You know exactly what you're getting when you get Russell Westbrook. And it clearly did not work last year. Now the roster as it's currently constructed with Boogie, with Christian Wood, it still wouldn't have worked. It probably would have been even worse because you're not doing the, you, you don't have no, you know, clearance in the paint for Russell Westbrook to work now. At, at his best was kind of after they did the whole experiment thing by getting Clint Capella out of there. Um, but now that you're committing to, to kind of playing basketball in, in its standard conditions, um, Russell Westbrook really doesn't have a spot on that team. So you're betting on the upside in John Wall, that's a guy who would fit a little bit better, assuming he comes back, um, you know, and and is somewhat of what he was beforehand. So that's kind of why it made sense to me on both sides. The Wizards needed a sure thing and the the Houston Rockets needed to take somewhat of a flyer. Um, But again, I just, 
the Houston Rockets have a lot of players I like, man. Christian Wood, I'm coming around on James Harden, even though his game still kind of annoys me to watch. John Wall is a dude I love watching. Like I've been saying, like that dude was the original John Morant for me. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, if he's, you know, somewhat of what he was and there's no telling what he's going to look like but you know if we get 85 percent of boogie cousins like they have a lot of dudes that i have you know pretty strong faith in as basketball players i'm still not quite sure how it functions as a unit but hell steven silas can make something happen that it could get really interesting down there in houston really quickly um that's a team that you know i'm definitely going to have my eye on at the start of the season I understand that john wall fit better than westbrook which is why i think this trade makes sense for both sides but um, like, what are realistic expectations for John Wall? Uh, do we think Nothing. he's going to look like Pistons' Derrick Rose? He's not going to be an All Star. Better, worse? Oh, definitely not an All Star. I don't think. Not going to be an All Star. Not in the West. If Hell no. If he's like Pistons' Derrick Rose, but more John Wall like, meaning he's a better floor general, better passer, beats you know the court better. I think that's an okay player. He's not worth whatever contract he's getting, but I think that makes Houston okay. And as long as he actually cares about playing basketball hard and like committing himself to defense and things like that um i mean that that's probably a better option for them than uh westbrook at this point just it in is. terms of fit agreed if i had to predict the stat line and obviously stats don't tell the entire story but i think john wall's capable of putting up 17 and 8 on the year with you know pretty decent shooting splits uh, assuming he just picks his spots correctly so yeah i think that's a player that honestly makes houston better assuming that's the guy that they're getting um and it, it doesn't get ugly from it from an injury standpoint I, I can't imagine like i said you can't you can take open runs with a grain of salt but he looks healthy at the very least he doesn't look like he's favoring anything he doesn't look like he's unexplosive he's not the john wall that was pulling 360 dunks out of his behind but he's still you know he, he can move a little bit so i, I don't know the, it's thing, be interesting. the thing about the thing that's going to be with him is sustainability of that level of wherever he's at in the in these highlights in these pro runs because you can do it in little bursts you can do it in mm. you know games up to 11 can you do it not only for an nba game for but for a even for a shortened season for a 72 game stretch and you know that's not even including the playoffs so that's going to be his his uh him and demarcus cousins is uh kind of you know challenge all right. Real quick before we move on, I want to throw some duos out there. You guys tell me if they're better than worse than John Wall or Brad or excuse me, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, just since you brought it up, Eddie. I think that's an interesting thought exercise. Number one, Ben Simmons, Joel and B. Really, really quickly, is this how we think they're gonna fit and play together on the court or just individually, you know, I guess summing up their talent? I mean, I'm putting Eddie, it, it was your, as it was your individually talents, like individual talents. Okay. Like, okay. Ideally, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, gray area, but I'm just talking about in terms of talents. Okay. Okay. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Better, right? I think they're better. I doubt Julio thinks they're better, though. <sighs> I mean, it's so tough for me. <laughs> it, it really is. Is it? it really oh, is come on. Is it that tough? Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as individual well, I mean, talents? Because we well, ta- talked about that Beal is better than Embiid like all the time. So I'd rather have Bradley Beal than Joel Embiid. Yes, because I mean he's just far more skilled. He provide. Yeah, I'm not even go, go into it, but uh, I mean, if you had to, I mean, it, it's a close one. But I'll probably go with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Okay, I was gonna say you. 
little you look crazy if you don't go with like um Bradley, Bradley Beal is a better corner sound than Joel Embiid. Sure, but like if we're if, we're, if the exercise is individual talent, it's got to be Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons like tenfold. Um anyways, right. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton versus Ben Simmons and or gosh, Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. Um Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take Giannis for as much as I criticize him. But again, I don't like Giannis's game at all. Uh, but I, I guess, you know, he has the MVP. So I'll, I'll have to go Giannis. Hey, so does Russell Westbrook. Come on now. So isn't, isn't Beal and Westbrook just uh, better Chris Middleton and smaller Giannis Antetokounmpo? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fact. This that's a fact. Is, it's a fact. I mean, no, I'll go. I'll go. Giannis and Chris, but we're talking about skill wise, like. But see, are we talking about skill, skill or talent? Indiv- like, I mean, we just had this. Com- we had this whole ass conversation, even after the podcast, about you know the the summation of talent, uh, God given physical abilities plus. Uh, we're talking about talent. Your overall, what what we think you are as a basketball player. Talent wise, weighing these two, it's still Giannis and Chris in terms of talent. So that, yeah. Okay, so that's two. Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker. Jason Tatum. Yeah, I'd go Beal and Russ. I don't think Kemba does enough. Do you think Kemba's better? Do, do you think Kemba's better than um, Russell Westbrook? And we're talking about talent. No, not really. Oh, shoot. See, I mean, this is where it gets tough for me because I'd rather have Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker, but, okay, if we're talking about talent, my definition of talent heavily leans on, you know, your God-given abilities, and Russell Westbrook is just a freak of nature. I mean, I'll I'll probably just go with Russ and Beal just because Beal is a better player, in my opinion, than Jason Tatum at this point. Um, But... Yeah, and Russell Westbrook's obviously more athletic than Kemba Walker, so I don't know. Interesting. I don't. I won't even ask Kawhi and PG. We know what that is. Yeah. Um, Jokic and Jamal Murray. Jamal and Jokic. <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't. If if Jamal shows what he did in the bubble for an entire season, sure. As- assume but- that's Jamal. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, assume that bubble Jamal is what we're getting. But, like, can you assume that, though? Like, is he just going to drop 35 and 8, you know, for the regular season? Probably not. But, like, like that, that that level of play, you know what I mean? Like, not necessarily that stat line every night, but, like, that's the player that – that's the I think as of right now, um, the more talented duo is Russ and Beal. I think every duo you pretty much named off, I'd rather have them. But when we're just talking about strictly talents, it's Russ and Beal. Hmm. I'll agree with that statement. Yeah. Gordon Hayward in the mellow ball. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's see. None of these. Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I mean, you could... Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Ooh. Yeah. Stop. I... Stop. I mean, as you can say. Looks like he did last year. Yeah. yeah you, can, you can say Westbrook is more talented, depending on your definition of talent, than CP3, but. Obviously, CP3 is the better But remember, player. just two years ago, we were thinking of CP3 as a Westbrook-type declining player because of injuries and everything. 
Yeah, I don't know. You could even throw a Jimmy and Bam in there, and I'd pick Russ and Neil. Jimmy and yeah, I, I wouldn't even throw them in there just because, from a talent standpoint, as gifted as Bam Adebayo is, uh, I'm sure you guys are, have more of an inclination to go with the guard pairing. Um, if Clay was healthy, Steph and Clay, it's not even Russ. close. But uh, well, I mean, but Steph again, is obviously more talented than all of them. But like. And we're talking about like talent. Like Russ and Beal are both more talented than Clay by a lot. But again, going back to Eddie's point, who would you rather have? I'd rather have all these dudes rather than you know uh, Beal and Russ. But who's more talented? It depends on your definition. Hmm. Depends. One of these episodes, we're gonna have to sit down and hash that out for real. So we have a blanket understanding of what we consider to be talent. Um, but that sounds like an off-season episode. We're about to get into the season. Anyways, let's go ahead and keep it pushing. Interesting comments coming out of Los Angeles, specifically the Clippers. Um, a lot of their their preseason rhetoric has been. Well, let's just open the conversation. What do you guys feel about uh, what what Paul George was talking about um, in, in his press conference? Well. I mean, I don't even want to go to his press conference. I just want to go straight to all the Oh, no, smoke. it was his comments on all the smoke. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to need y'all to follow me just because I had just a big reaction to what he said. And I, I wrote a lot of stuff down. Um, so I, it's two things. It's, it's not only, you know, it, it's not only cowardly what he was saying. But it's also un- very, very unnecessary. So the the thing about PG, it, throughout that podcast episode, at no moment, you know, dirt throughout, you know, the duration of that episode, did he ever take blame? Did he ever, you know, say, you know, I didn't play up to expectations, and that's on me? And, and whether you want to, you know, go into criticizing Doc thereafter. You know, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But at, at the very least, for respect out of your coach, your former coach, and I'm going to get into, you know, what he means to Paul George, you know, later in this, in my argument. Um, but out of respect for your former coach, you can't just throw it all on him. And it really upset me because you don't see Doc Rivers going all over TV, all over, you know, radio shows and podcasts saying, oh, well, my players didn't, you know, they didn't want to practice. They had security guards. They want to show up late for, for practices and games, and they want to tell me when to sub them in and out. He's not doing that. He moved on. Paul George, move on. It's the next season. You shot basketballs off the backboard, my guy. You have no you have no reason to talk right now. You could have easily deflected that question and said and said, you know, it's a new season. I didn't do what we were supposed to do and we're moving on. And here's my thing. We made no adjustments. Doc didn't do this and that. Then make an adjustment as a superstar player. Stand up in the locker room. Maybe after three games you should know that damn maybe we should do something differently even if your coach isn't saying so superstars have power in this league and what's upsetting to me is that i i was a critic of doc rivers too but that doesn't mean that he deserves all the blame all these chemistry issues all these things all these adjustments would have gone to the wayside if Kawhi and pg just showed up in the fourth quarter of game seven even in game five 
all that all this crap would have gone away wouldn't have even come up maybe if they just you know decided to win a game and he says he's treating me like ray allen oh my god i, I almost lost it you putting me you know off pin down screens uh, not enough pick and roll you had the most pick and rolls in your career this past year you, oh, oh i need post-ups you had the most post-ups in your career you see, this Julio, past year. We, we 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 don't we don't mess with and like we me you and i i know we're not like the most analytically sound people but analytics called bullshit on paul george real quick didn't they they're like and actually yes you had 33 percent the most in your career we we got it we got it <laughs> raw data me like ray you you're treating me like ray allen you had fewer fewer <laughs> catch and shoots this past season than when you did with Russell Westbrook. Stop this nonsense. Stop it. And, and here's the other uh, uh, thing that maybe people might laugh at, but I take it, you know, incredibly seriously. He said, you know, going back to we didn't make adjustments. You know what adjustment was made? When you walked into Doc Rivers' hotel room and, you know, it was reported that you guys had a serious talk about your mental health, about your depression, about your anxiety being in the bubble. And you know who went out and performed that next game? Paul George. He had a monster game that next game. And, you know, mental health, depression, all that is not to play with. That's an incredible adjustment, if you ask me. And you're throwing your coach, not only your coach, but all the things you did to that man's daughter. I mean... Whoa, you don't went there? You yes, went there? Yes. You, th- you think I'm playing? You think no. I'm playing? People, people are going to be laughing. They're going to think I'm playing, but I'm, I'm very serious with this. You're going to throw that man under the bus. He put what you did to his daughter aside, and he wanted to help you, like a- as a man. It, and it was reported. Even they said, you know, that they didn't even talk about basketball. They were just talking about life. Doc didn't help you then. He didn't adjust your. Trash at that point, trash game. Then, come, come on, PG, come, come on, and, and I, I don't know. It, it just really, really angered me. Like, like you can be honest, and, and you know, I hate when people use this argument about, oh, but we want our players to be open and honest about what really happened, and you know, behind the scenes and, and all this. That that that's a fact. That's true. Only if what you're saying is also factual. But everything he said was garbage it was hot garbage and then matt barnes and you know jacks are both there taking it like yeah okay okay whatever you know they're not challenging him with questions and it's just it pissed me off it it really did it pissed me off for doc's sake julia you just went on one of the historic rants of this show i just want you to know know. that that was that was something you 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 covered a lot of ground in a short period of time there and I want that's why I told you guys at the very beginning, like I need you I, I need you guys to follow me. Because no, was, it, it's although, you know, I, I hit some stats, I hit some serious topics and you know, a bunch of stuff. So I followed yeah. all the way up to the the daughter. I didn't expect that one to come out the bag, man, but did you cap? I don't think so. I don't think I can point to a, a point where I don't think you I could point to a point where you said something that was untrue. Eddie, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? I know that's a that's a that's a that's a tough act to follow, but give me something, man. Yeah, so we should clip that 
little five minute bit out and make it its own little thing. You know, Julio put it on your reel, your career defining <laughs> moment. But um, yeah, so I'm not even going to follow up with anything about Paul George because Julio hit everything and then some. But can we all agree that this Clippers team is done after this season when Kawhi and Paul George can both opt out? I just, it, this team is so messy to me because they're coming into this season with um, obviously Paul George said uh, what he said, but then Marcus Morris, you know, uh, saying that we shouldn't have lost to Denver because we were the better team. And, and that was like the only explanation he had to give, you know, not why they fumbled the bag, not why, you know, they, they totally just pissed away a 3-1 lead, but simply, you know, still kind of riding their high horses. And, you know, this is like Marcus Morris who carries that kind of, you know, narrative as kind of a, a dude who, who, you know, just kind of says stuff to say, say stuff sometimes, you know, and then, I don't know, it seems like there's some uh, uh, discontention with Lou Williams there right now, and that's why maybe they're looking to trade him out. It's just, I don't know, like, there's a very good possibility that this team is still, you know, the team we thought they were last season, the championship favorite, and, you know, they're still deep, they still have Kawhi and PG, they can still go out and prove a lot of people wrong, and win a championship, it's very plausible, but I don't know, like, everything about this team is just wired so wrong from a chemistry level, just from, like, a relationships level that, you know, I mean, especially Paul George, just his inability to hold himself accountable is is really laughable. And I hate it because I want to support Paul George. He's one of the guys I think people trash on him unnecessarily for, but then he goes out and just shoots himself in the foot and says all sorts of, you know, says all sorts of lies and, uh, I mean, he doesn't do himself any favors with it. And then he comes out today saying, I want to be a Clipper for life. Yeah, that's, exactly like, that's what not true. That's not true. That's, that's not that's true. the same thing as I grew up as a Clippers fan. Like, that's, we know that's not true. But, mm. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I think everyone can see it for what it is. It's a really smelly situation. It's like, it's, you know, what, what are those like wastelands called? Like one of those, uh, 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 a super fun site. That's what the Clippers team is kind of like right now. Um, and they better, or, or Ty Lue's, you know, got to do a really good job of repairing relationships and establishing a, a pecking order and leadership structure and, you know, making sure that the superstars don't get away with too much and that all the role players engage. And, you know, that, that's a lot of work for Ty Lue to do in, in the course of a season. And if it's not right in a season, the Clippers are back at, you know, square one where uh, they've been for a lot of their franchise. So, so I mean, who knows? It, it's 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 um, it's a lot. It's a lot. We talk about, and cool. I just want to say that this is coming from this is coming from someone who you know Paul George used to be when he was with the the Pacers. He used to be my favorite player in the NBA, and it's like everything you've done since then. It's like, come on, come come on, come on, man. When we talk about culture and sports, and specifically like a winning culture, right? And we talk about leadership and how LeBron James, you know, despite, you know, some some of the pettiness that we've seen from him in the past, I don't think it's there's any denying that when LeBron comes into the locker room, there's an immediate winning culture and you know what's expected of you and you know that you're going to be held accountable when you're not, you know, performing up to par. Same thing with Stephen Curry in a very different way. You know the expectation when you go in that Golden State Warriors locker room. You know that that you're going to be expected to perform at a high level and play 
an exemplary job in your role, right? Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat, winning culture. They knew what they were. They knew what their roles were. They knew they had to go out there and compete. They knew they had to go out there and grind every practice, every day. The Clippers do not have that culture. And you can't have that culture when there's no one in-house that's going to establish that culture. And when you brought in Kawhi Leonard, He's not going to do it because Kawhi's not a confrontational dude. And that's fine. Like, that's not like I'm not going to ask somebody to be outside of their personality if Kawhi is not going to be the dude to be rah-rah, banging on lockers, trying to get everybody going. If that's not what he's aligned to do, don't try to step outside of who you are, right? But you brought in Paul George, who's not a guy. Clearly, he's proven that he's not going to hold himself or other people accountable. Um, Doc Rivers, I think, is the type of dude to do that, but... If I'm being honest, Doc Rivers got castrated in that Clippers locker room. They did not let Doc Rivers do what Doc Rivers does as a coach. When we saw it with the Celtics, even during those years where he was the leader of those Clippers teams with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, they did not let that version of Doc Rivers exist in that locker room last year. So Doc Rivers wasn't going to do it. Patrick Beverly, for all the talking he does, he's not going to be the one to do it. They had a lot of dudes, but not a single one of them was going to step up and establish a winning culture. That's what was wrong with the Clippers. I know I, I like to point it to like cohesion issues on the court, but it was really, you just didn't have a winning culture. You did not have a winning culture, and I, I don't foresee a winning culture for the Clippers this year because at no point did anybody hold anyone accountable except for maybe you could argue Montrez Harrell held them accountable by, by jumping ship and leaving and going to the Lakers. But you know, outside of that, no one's holding that Clippers team accountable for being what they should be, which is a championship caliber team. So if it's not going to happen this year, I agree with you, Eddie. It, it, it's, it, the, the, it's impending to implode very quickly. But, I mean, that's what happens when the Clippers bend so far over backwards just to recruit Kawhi Leonard. Right, and and that's really kind of the root of this problem, which I don't, was that the Clippers I would disagree. were such a feisty team two would, years ago, right? I would and disagree because just I, I, to get sorry to cut you off, but well, like, what is it then? It, it's like you can bend over backwards for people who you know when they come down there they're gonna make sure shit's right. Like if they did the same thing to go land LeBron James, you wouldn't have had these issues. But it's specifically the fact that Kawhi Leonard's not going to come in and set a culture and you didn't allow anyone to set a winning culture. That's what the issue was. You bend over for superstars if you need to, because that's, you know, that's how you get them, honestly, because no one, no superstar is going to want to come and not, you know, have the autonomy to do what they want to do. But in that exchange, right, the promise is I'll give you what you want, but now you got to come and win me some championships. That's the trade off. And that's not the trade off that, that Kawhi Leonard was equipped to make. But to the extent that they had to recruit Kawhi, like get his get his uh, brother or uncle or, or whoever on board, um, you know, get get Jeremy Castleberry from the Raptors, let him let him you know live in San Diego, you know, give him all of these um, um, uh, what do you call it? Endor- endorsements, whatever, like perks and everything. Like I don't think any other superstar has been, you know, like ha- has been just kind of I don't know what you call it, like just treated you know like that ever and and it's maybe that's just a part of you know the, the clippers brand like the clippers were a laughing stock and they want to rehabilitate that so badly by you know presenting themselves as you know like a model franchise to um Kawhi. but at the same time just by doing that to land Kawhi leonard they showed how you know just how much importance they play they placed on Kawhi. 
when that team had a lot of dudes like Montrez and Patrick Beverly who were willing to, you know, play hard just because they wanted to play hard because they like to play basketball. And meanwhile, you know, they, they did so much just to try to land Kawhi. And I think it really set a bad precedent. And there's almost no way to undo that because you can't just, well, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to tell Kawhi you can't live in San Diego now? Like, you got to you gotta be with the dudes. Like, you got to be like the rest of them. Like, if Kawhi's not wired like that, and we and you know he's not wired like that because it took all that effort to land Kawhi in the first place, it's, it's um, I don't know, it, it's, it feels kind of irreplicable to me. At this point. Here's, my, here's my only pushback to that. From a surface level standpoint, um, I agree with essentially everything you guys are saying. It does set a bad precedent. It does set a bad recipe, you know, for the locker room, for your organization. But my only pushback to that, what if Kawhi shows up in game six or game seven and, and has a monster perf- or not even a monster performance, a mediocre performance in game seven and beats the Nuggets? I mean, are you are we really talking that much about their issues this offseason? I mean, I think that, that the, the fact that the team didn't show up, and it wasn't just Kawhi Leonard, it was the entire team, didn't show up speaks to that issue. Is that, to like, the, what I was saying is that you didn't establish a winning culture. And if, you know, you want to – I push back against the idea, like, if you want to massage the superstar player's feet and, you know, basically concede whatever you want, sure – but again, now the trade-off is that you have to come in and establish a winning culture. And if you're not upholding your end of the bargain, essentially here's what happened with the Los Angeles Clippers. They fell in love with this baddie, right? Like, she bad. She cold. She just, like, she like she's, she's going crazy, right? And the Clippers, they pulled up to her doorstep every single day for a month with a different set of flowers and a different box of chocolates, and they got everything for them. But you know what? That girl... She might she might let you give her the flowers and the chocolates, but she don't respect you like that. Like you're you're begging for it. You're begging for it, and now that you're begging for it, you know she's not gonna rock with you like that. She's not gonna rock with you like that. I don't know. That, that was my attempt at a uh, 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 a comparison. Since uh, analogy, analogy, yeah. yeah. But uh, we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be we're gonna be throwing in more analogies. Shout out to. Uh, I think two episodes or three episodes ago, where I called out Reagan for you didn't have to see. We don't have we don't have to talk about that. That was just unnecessary. That's unnecessary. <laughs> There's no reason but, to recall that old analogy because that was a bad one too. It's like Reagan's the type of dude that whatever. What were you gonna say, Eddie? But no, like Julio has a point, which is why I say the Clippers have a legit shot. Not a, maybe not like legit legit, but they have a, a good chance to, you know, compete for a championship this year. Maybe win a championship. Because again, they're they're talented enough where they can make up for those sorts of issues. Like, I mean, they're obviously not as talented as those Steph KD Warriors. But even when that team clearly had issues, they swept the Cavaliers in the finals. It's like talent can still make up for a lot of things, but it is when it goes wrong, like it did last year for them, that you know everyone starts using them as kind of like a punching bag because everyone knows exactly what went wrong. You know, their their dirty laundry is all up in the public. But again, it's like, no, Julio's right. Like, they're still talented. I think they're still, you know, among the favorites to win the title. So it's not like you can count them out. But it's just, you know, goes to show how far team building can do for, for you know, a successful team. I mean, I would honestly disagree with that, man, because it's one th- I think what we saw from the Clippers, that result happened for a reason. I, I, I mean, I've been saying it all year long, even though there were times where I kind of fluctuated on it. I said it from the jump, that Clippers team was not a championship team. Um, and it proved to be true because as much as talent can make up for a lot of things, 
when put up against other talented teams, it's not going to make up for the will to win. Right, like if it, if it's you know the the Clippers versus the Charlotte Hornets, of course your talent's going to prevail no matter how bad the Hornets want to win. But when it's the Denver Nuggets and it's the Los Angeles Lakers and it's the Brooklyn Nets this year and the Miami Heat, the will to win is going to be extremely important. And that Clippers team, clearly, even in its most dire moments, when they saw the the championship slipping from its fingertips, had no will to win, no sense of urgency, no fire. None of it was there. So that's why I think we saw the result that we did. It's a good tall tale for the Brooklyn Nets to learn from. Indeed. And on that, that's an elite transition. That's an elite transition. See, I mean, it's hosting from the analyst. That's cold. That's cold. Because we are going to talk a little bit about the Brooklyn Nets. (laughs) And Kyrie's comments um, that he's... Evidently not going to talk to the media. Not talk, He's not messing with us this year. He's, he's, he's not rocking with us, um, which was interesting because he I, I can't recall the exact. I think you have it pulled up, right, Eddie, the exact quote that he released to yeah, the public. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and read that? Yeah, well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he essentially sent a memo to media members. And I think the last line was the one that was the most hilarious because he said, quote, life hit differently this year and it requires us. It requires me to move differently. So this is the beginning of that change, end quote. And he basically, to summarize, to put it in like, you know, shorter words, he basically just said, I got to move different this year. Moving different. <laughs> he's talking about not talking to the media. But I mean, yeah, I guess that's what he said. He also um, said, my goal this season is to let my work on and off the court speak for itself, which is essentially saying he probably isn't going to want to speak to the media this entire season. Whether the NBA lets him do that, it's you know another question but yeah i don't know i mean Kyrie, Kyrie irving stirring the pot again i guess yeah I, I was i was gonna ask you guys uh that's in their contracts right that they have yeah, to talk have to the to. media it's and i mean it's a part of their job and i mean whether or not you want to be a kind of i, I don't want to call Kyrie, you know or marshawn lynch because that's what i'm comparing it to an asshole but i don't i don't know if you want to do that the entire season you know just say i'm here just you know so i won't get fined that that you know nba version of marshawn lynch but you know you, you guys know how much i love i love Kyrie, um his game even his you know killer mentality his, his demeanor on the floor and even off the floor sometimes i think he gets more uh crap than he deserves but at some point man i gotta be honest you're starting to ask for it and not only are you starting to ask for it from, you know, media and, and fans, from, you know, your own team and other teams, because, I mean, right, from a player standpoint, who cares about them? They're not playing with me on the court. But you're also starting to ask for it from your own teammates very subtly or whether, you know, it's behind your back. And that's, again, how you create bad locker rooms maybe just like you did in Boston or maybe even in Cleveland so it's not what you want to be doing with the new team Kyrie especially when you got dudes there that you know were there before you and looked like they were having fun there before you now if this was a team of everybody was new I mean maybe maybe you got a point there but um at this point Kyrie's Kyrie's asking for you know a bunch of criticism uh uh at, at this point when you don't want to, you know, have attention or, um, you know, get any media all over you, then sometimes you just don't say anything. When you do a when you do a statement like this, 
everybody's gonna be talking about you. If you don't want them talking about you, don't put out a statement like this. Um, and I, I love Kyrie, but yeah, that, that's my two cents on on him. See, my thing is, I I wonder if this is the collective mentality of the Brooklyn Nets because we know how Kevin Durant feels about the media. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie's a guy that feels like he kind of likes to talk, but. Um, like, is this something that they're going to go in as a team and say, we're not talking to the media? Or is it just Kyrie Irving himself no, saying, I'm not talking to the media? You can't do that. That's, can. that's where it becomes that's, an issue. Because uh, literally, when we were just talking about the Clippers, where did issues start arising? When Kawhi Leonard specifically wasn't doing things. And Paul George specifically wasn't doing things that other guys had to do. And other guys had to kind of fall on the sword because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard didn't want to do those things. Once you start separating yourself from the rest of your teammates and saying, well, you guys do this, but I'm not going to do that. That's when the issues start arising, like you said, Julio. So I think that could prove not even I don't even I'm not even looking at it from a media standpoint and a media relations and, you know, the, the telling of what's going to be the Brooklyn Nets story this season. Yeah, that, that, that's a separate discussion. But I'm talking about how your team functions and how much your teammates are going to mess with you and rock with you throughout the season. If you're going to make them do things that you're not going to have to do and you're going to make them go through certain burdens and trials throughout the season that you don't have to, there's going to be issues that arise. It's inevitable. No, I mean, that's true. It's like we could be watching uh, another Clippers case study, but like just magnify even more (laughs) because, you know, they have bigger personalities and and more centric personalities. But I guess two points on this one, it's not going to happen because the NBA is not going to let him just not talk to media. It's written into their contracts. They haven't, you know, uh, uh, they they have a duty, I guess. I don't want to call it a duty, but like they essentially have to talk to the media because again, the media is what gets these players paid. Like TV exactly. deals gets these yes. players paid. Exposure yes. gets these players paid. And I know these players think, you know, they're above, you know, the, the TV deals, they're above the, the fans even because the fans, you know, pay the attendance money, pay the merchandise. But these are the guys that's paying them, you know, these multi-million dollar contracts. So you have to honor it, right? Like, unfortunately, that's just the, you know, trade. That, that That's a part of why they're so popular and, and why they make the money they do and why they have the status they do. Um, but then also second point, Kyrie's a guy that I've talked about on the podcast a lot in the past that I think gets negatively portrayed for what he says sometimes because he does say some weird things that a lot of people blow out of proportion. And sometimes he says things that sound very eccentric but actually kind of mask a, a great intention. And he's done a lot of good things. Like he's donated a lot of money to you know, his native, like, uh, Native American tribe, like, he's donated a lot of money um, toward the WNBA for women's basketball, for, you know, uh, underprivileged communities, like, everything. Like, he's really put his uh, money where his mouth is. And the whole thing, like, during the, uh, uh, before the bubble started, where he kind of led a coalition of players and uh, said that we shouldn't play to focus on social justice efforts. Like, I think all of those things Kyrie did, Kyrie has done, is, is all, like, pretty you know, upstanding stuff. And there has been some bad actors in the media who's tried to, you know, twist things a certain way, negatively, whatever. Like Woj writing the whole piece, calling him a disruptor, you know, like painting him in a really negative light, which I think, I think, and and I mean, if you know the media and how it works, probably someone in someone else's player camp told Woj to, you know, put out a little bit of like a minor hit. So like there are some, you know, bad faith actors, maybe some maybe some people in the media that, you know, like just don't particularly like Kyrie, but he can't just say, I'm not going to talk to the media because of it. Because 
frankly, it comes off as, you know, like, I guess childish. I don't know. It just comes off as he wants everything on his own terms. And it just doesn't work like that. And especially he's going to be dealing with New York media all year. The tabloids and whatever are going to put out a whole bunch of bullshit about him. And that's just a part of his job that he's going to have to navigate that, you know, say the right answers. And, and he can be as candid and honest as he wants to be. Um, but he can't expect that every single media outlet and every single reporter or journalist is going to just paint him in a really rosy light because that's just not how it works. Um, it almost seems like he's trying to dodge adversity, which is a really bad sign because this team is going to run into adversity the entire season. We, like, that's just how this team is built. And if he can't handle media pressure, like what is he going to do if, you know, a, like Steve Nash calls him out or something, Kevin Durant calls him out for something. Um, it, it's it's just a bad example to set right now. And, you know, it, it's people are going to say it's a very Kyrie thing to do, which is maybe true. But um, this is one of those things where, you know, not talking to the media doesn't serve some sort of greater motive. It, it's a pretty self-centered reason to do it. Everyone else in the league has to deal with media pressure. Like, he's not above it. So That's what, what yeah. he's describing isn't how you fight back against media. Because what you've done now is, like, allowed... For you to say this is not even a microscope. What you've done is like, and here's you know how media is gonna work, right? They're gonna say, and the the people you talk about, kind of the Kyrie Irving antagonists, are gonna say, well, shit. Now that you don't want to talk to me, well, now I get to say whatever the hell I want because you're not gonna speak on your own behalf, so I can start creating whatever the hell I want. Um, That's not how you fight back against media. Like, if you're an athlete, right, and you have a vendetta against media, and we can get into whether you should or not, and whether it's part of your job, but if you want to, like, stick it at the media, ask me a question. Ask me, like, a post-game question. Here's how you stick it to the media. Oh, literally? Yeah, ask ask me one. Yeah, ask me one. Um, Kyrie, how did it... Uh, on, on that last play, when you missed the shot, how how did uh, I don't know how were you viewing the game once you came off that pick and roll with KD, and, and why didn't you pass it to him? Did you see something or I don't know? Uh, Steve Nash grew, drew up a great play in the huddle. Uh, we ran it uh, to the best of our ability, and you know the ball didn't go in. Uh, I'm still confident, but just ball didn't go our way that time. You know what I mean? The most boring, bland answers that you could buy. That's that's what this, you do. This dude is media trained. I'm t- like literally, like it's it's not. I don't, I don't feel like at least it's not that difficult to give people a boring, bland, uh, the the most non consequent. The thing with Kyrie, because in the past he's been honest. Right. And people have taken that honesty and they've taken that candidness and they've spun it into things that, you know, Kyrie never had the intention of being, you know, the disruptor that Woj claimed him to be or this uh, this sort of crazy person that a lot of people view Kyrie to be um, that are kind of ignorant of how he perceives things. Um, but like if you want to stick it to the media, take that candidness and that honesty away and just give, you know, the, the, the cookie cutter, bland, boring answer that that's just going to, you know, make a, a terrible story or a boring story you know what i mean that that's how you stick it to them you don't create a a a new circus now because now people are just going to start spinning more narratives about you and like that's not the way though i'm sorry but like that that's not the way to go about it though because Kyrie's a candid person he's an honest person i don't think he should um be less honest if he can't handle the media pressure you know i feel like he should have the the kind of knowledge to know like he's not naive i think or i hope he's not naive but he should know that the more honest you are 
to media members, the more that honesty can be taken out of context and spun into all sorts of different stories. Right. To me, this reads like he just does not understand how the media and player relationship works. Like he can be honest and candid and there's going to be a lot of people in his corner and there have been people in his corner. It's just, there's going to be a a lot of other people that are going to, you know, feel, feel away about his honesty. But it almost sounds like to me, he doesn't expect people to take what he says negatively, which is weird. Like it's reality. Not everyone's going to like, you Not everyone's going to fully understand where you're coming from this and that. Like, it's not perfect. It just almost seems like to me that he can't believe that everyone is not on his side when he is the more honest uh, uh, person toward the media than other players. I'd rather have him keep of, that of course, sort of I, I don't disagree with you. I, I would love to have Kyrie keep being the guy that he is and challenging people to think differently about certain things, right? That's what it is in an ideal world. But if Kyrie Irving feels like, well, if I keep doing this and, and, and people are going to keep bashing me for it and I'm going to keep having my name jugged through the mud by by certain me and I want to withdraw myself from that circle, from the from that situation and I don't want that to happen to me. What he's doing right now is not the way to do it. What you, you withdraw your honestness and your candidness. And as much as that we'd hate to see that as people who I guess I've come around on hearing what Kyrie has to say about certain things. Um I would hate it if he did that, but you know, at the at the end of the day, that's how you kind of stick it to people who spin your words in ways that that they weren't intended is by giving them words that they can't spin, not withdrawing the words altogether. That's my point. Yeah, I guess, I don't think Kyrie's capable of that though. That that's more my thing. I think oh, he's, he's a smart dude. Pretty articulate. He, you know, he's super smart. There's a reason why he's you know a vice president in the Players Association. It's just that it's weird to me how he can have that blind spot of not understanding that it's not a perfect world and that there's going to be some bad actors out there and there's going to be some people that aren't going to understand him. You know, like all of that. It's just that for it, like I feel like for for a dude as honest as as he is, he would understand that there's going to be blowback unless everything has gone right in his you know life and career so far which it hasn't like i'm sure it hasn't and and it's just kind of bizarre to me exactly so i i can sympathize with Kyrie from the standpoint that you know his candidness his uh uh and, and sometimes i do feel like he just not that he wants to be different just for different sake but you know he he's very honest with his beliefs and what he, how he you know sees basketball how he views media how he sees the world um but i can sympathize with Kyrie from the standpoint that a lot of the stuff you know he, he can be an easy target especially being you know uh starting off his career uh, uh on one of the biggest stages you know his real introduction to superstardom was you know hitting that game seven shot against the warriors and being, you know, the guy who didn't really get along with LeBron and, you know, who doesn't get along with, Le- with LeBron. Um, so he can be an easy target from that standpoint. And a lot of the stuff that he does say obviously gets twisted. But just like what Eddie said, he has to know that, you know, if you don't want all this attention, it's coming your way if you're going to be saying things like this. So it's inevitable. Mm. Well inevitability we'll we'll see what happens i i i'm inclined to agree with you eddie that it probably won't be able to exist like that in actuality throughout the course of the season given that it's, I mean, it it's is not, part it's of his contract yeah 
So time will tell to see how that plays out. But I think that'll do it for this episode of Hoop and Holler. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. We'll keep coming with the analogies uh, on Wednesdays and Saturdays. We'll, we'll try to get in, our, get in the lab on some of those comparisons a little bit better. Um, but as always, go check out the Instagram, the Twitter, at SQR1Hoops. You guys know the deal. Um, like I said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.